0: Thank you. Welcome to yet another episode. This episode is a second part to the glaucoma episode that we had done with Dr. Shuiso. If you haven't listened to the first episode, I recommend that you do. It is Season 3, Episode 9. If you don't want to be confused as to why we're just moving forward with questions, please go back and refer to the first episode. Kurt, thank you so much for being back with us. And uh,
1: Sure, no problem.
0: Let's move on with the questions. Kimberly, take it away.
2: Alrighty. So we left off with talking about glaucoma since in the last episode we mentioned how Dr. Kurt Schweizo here is a glaucoma specialist and my glaucoma specialist. So I will continue with the questions. Is there a cure for glaucoma?
1: Well, it just depends on how you define cure. Um, You know, the way we treat glaucoma, uh, just to kind of recap, glaucoma develops when the pressure in your eye is higher than your eye can tolerate. That extra pressure damages the optic nerve and causes irreversible vision loss. So the way we treat glaucoma is to reduce the eye pressure. Now, if you can reduce the pressure permanently, then technically you've, you've effectively treated the glaucoma. Um, The the problem is, I mean, a cure implies that something's done, it's gone. It's never going to come back. The problem is fixed. And so I always tell patients like, look, you know, one, there are very few things we can actually cure in medicine we can cure infections, we can cure uh, some cancers. Um, and those are issues where there's an episode of treatment, the problem goes away, the treatment goes away, the patient never has to deal with it again. Um, but you can't really cure glaucoma. It's a lot more like you know, diabetes or high blood pressure or high cholesterol where it's, a, it's kind of a chronic issue that needs to be dealt with. So the patient always needs some form of treatment. Even if let's say I do a surgery and bring the eye pressure down and everything's great. The patient doesn't have to use any medications. The glaucoma is stable. It feels like a cure uh, because the patient doesn't really have to deal with it anymore on a day-to-day basis. But uh, but the glaucoma itself doesn't go away. The damage the patient has sustained doesn't go away. Um, and likewise, we can't ever totally be sure the pressure is gonna stay under control. So uh, just because of the uh, how the eye heals over time. You can get what we call wound modulation, scar formation. Um, uh, A surgery that's working now may not be working five years from now. So patient still has to deal with it in the sense that they've got to still come in for follow-up visits occasionally to make sure, yep, the pressure is still good. Your glaucoma is still stable. We'll see you later. But they really can't ever, we're not at the point right now where we can just totally Put it in your rearview mirror and not ever deal with it again.
2: All right, that explains it. Thank you. Sure. Is there a difference between a child having glaucoma and an elderly person having glaucoma?
1: Yeah, there is. Um, if you have what we call congenital glaucoma, meaning you're born with it, uh, then well, let me back up a little bit. So, if uh, in this country. Your average glaucoma patient is going to be a little older. They're going to be, you know, 50, 60, 70 years old or older. The older you get, the more likely it is you're going to develop glaucoma. And those patients typically have what we call primary open-angle glaucoma, right? And that just means that the eye anatomically looks fine. When we examine the eye in the clinic, the structures that drain fluid from the eye that are supposed to keep the eye pressure nice and low look fine. They look like they should be working. Uh, but they aren't working perfectly. They're they're clogged with some debris on a microscopic level uh, and the drain in the patient's eye isn't working properly. So that's the typical form of glaucoma in this country. And we treat it by, you know, using eye drops, lasers, surgeries to keep the pressure down. Um, if someone's born with glaucoma, if they've got juvenile glaucoma, I'm sorry, congenital glaucoma, um, then that's a little bit different story. Uh, in that case, that's usually a developmental issue. It's a problem with, you know, uh, embryology. Uh, the eye doesn't fully form and the structures that drain fluid from the eye don't completely form uh, so that the, the child is born with a high pressure. So it's different in the sense that that needs to be treated more urgently. Uh, it needs to be treated surgically um, to open the drain and hopefully get things working. So it's, it's a little bit different approach.
2: Okay. Does um, glaucoma, if like what you just mentioned, if a child is born with it, does that usually come hand in hand with anything else?
1: No, it usually doesn't. Um, so if a, if a child is born with glaucoma, um, they're going to have, so there are a lot of, Hereditary glaucoma, I shouldn't say a lot, but the, the, if you look at congenital glaucomas, most of them are what we call autosomal dominant, uh, which means there's usually a family history um, and uh, there's about a 50-50 chance of inheriting that, The um, but uh, it, it's usually isolated. So there are some syndromes um, where you know not only do you have glaucoma, but it's grouped with other developmental issues, uh, you know, things having to do with, oh, blood vessels or the spinal cord, things like that, um, where, you know, you don't get full development. Uh, but in most cases, it's going to be isolated.
2: All right. Mm-hmm. Um, what can the glaucoma do to the eye if left untreated?
1: Yeah. If you leave it untreated, um, then it's going to, so again, kind of going back to the, the usual form of glaucoma in this country, primary opening glaucoma, that's usually, a, you know, the problem with that is that there's elevated pressure in the eye, but it doesn't go up all of a sudden. Uh, if it did, when the eye pressure goes up suddenly, it's really painful the pressure. The patient knows that something's wrong. They get a nasty, headachey, tooth, pain, they get blurred vision. Um, they might even start throwing up, but they, it's obviously there's something wrong and they're going to seek help. Um, but most patients don't have that. They, they have a very slow, insidious rise in pressure, may not even be a real significant rise in pressure. It might just be you know, a 20 or 30% rise in pressure. But over time, that can have a that can cause damage to the optic nerve and cause you to lose vision. So um, so there are a lot of about 50% of patients in this country with glaucoma don't know they have it yet. Um, they are walking around thinking everything's fine. Maybe they haven't had an eye exam in a long time. And as far as they're concerned, everything's perfect. Uh, but they're in the background, they're, they're developing glaucoma and losing vision. So if, if you leave it untreated, then that process will continue to play out. And it can sometimes take a while. Um, but you'll eventually, you know, glaucoma starts to erode the peripheral vision. Um, that's off the patient's radar, but it eventually causes you to lose all the vision. So it's it's usually right before that happens that people realize there's something wrong that they're starting to get some blurred vision and then they come in and we realize, Oh, geez, you're right at the end of this, right at the end of the road here.
2: I have a question. Oh.
1: Sure.
0: What's um closed angle glaucoma like what's the difference between that and open angled
1: Yeah there's so the difference is in the anatomy of the eye so like mm-hmm. i said most patients in this country have primary open angle glaucoma the eye looks anatomically normal we look at the drain in the eye and that's a structure you can't visualize unless you're specifically looking for it you can't like a regular eye exam doesn't, doesn't look at the drain in the eye. you got to use a special mirrored lens. You got to, you know, really, really look for that drain. But if you visualize it, you'll see it. Okay. It's open. It looks good. Um, with angle closure, glaucoma or closed angle glaucoma, that drain isn't open. It's, it's closed off and that drain it's hard to just describe. <laughs> it's easier to use pictures, but in a model, but, um, the, that drain is a circular structure. It's located right where if you're looking at someone straight on, it's right where the colored part of the eye meets the white part of the eye. So it's a 360 degree circular structure. And it's tucked into what we call the angle, uh, which is formed between the iris, the colored part of the eye and the clear domed cornea. That's the clear watch glass part of the front of the eye. So in most patients that if you look at an eyeball and cross-section, Those structures are always a little bit crowded, but there's enough room for all of them to fit and for all of them to work. People with uh, angle closure glaucoma typically are farsighted patients. So farsighted just means you need glasses to see everything. Like distance is blurry, near is blurry. You need glasses to see all that. So farsighted eyes are shorter than most eyes. So the, the measurement front to back is shorter so those patients are born with smaller eyes those structures are more crowded and then as those patients age and they start to form a cataract the lens in their eye starts to occupy more and more space it'll slowly grow over time and what happens eventually you know they, they start out doing just fine and then as they get into their maybe 30s or 40s that lens starts to grow and it crowds the drain even more uh and it can close it off and then when that happens the pressure can suddenly go up and you can have what we call an attack of angle closure glaucoma and that's where they get all these nasty symptoms or sometimes the the drain can close off slowly and it can you can get that more insidious slow rise and it kind of mimics open angle glaucoma so it it's the the we don't distinguish the two much actually okay. there's a lot you know if you read about it, yeah. If, if you read about it, um, if you read about glaucoma online, you do a search about glaucoma, you're probably going to come across a lot of stuff about, okay, there's open angle, there's closed angle. You know, realistically, there's a, there's a lot of crossover between the two. It's kind of an artificial distinction and um, mm-hmm. the treatment is pretty similar. The treatment's going to be pretty similar. The disease course with rare exception is pretty similar. So, you know, when we're treating glaucoma, we're not, I mean, it's, yeah. It's great to know what the drain is doing because you might do things specifically to open the drain and help it work better. But your treatment goals are the same.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. You're not going to be like, Oh, this person has opening glaucoma. And this person has closed of glaucoma. Like glaucoma is glaucoma. So it's essentially what you're saying. Okay.
1: Yeah, basically that's right. Yeah. I mean, if, if someone walks in and they have, the only difference is that if someone walks in and they have an obviously closed angle, then we're going to take steps to try to open it up. All right. And that might mean a laser treatment to, to shoot a little hole in the iris. It's called an iridotomy that can, that might tell patients that it kind of, it's like popping a hole in a sail. It allows that iris to sort of deflate and fall back away from the drain. Sometimes that opens it. Mm -hmm. Um, and if the drain hasn't been closed very long, sometimes it'll start working again. A lot of times though, what we need to do to get that drain working is we actually need to take, take the lens out. We need to take the the, the lens out of the patient's eye or the cataract out of the patient's eye. So in that case, we're taking out a fairly big, bulky, almost spherical lens mm-hmm. and we're putting in a very thin lens in that opens up more room in the eye. But then what we'll also do is, is go in and specifically look at that drain. We'll look at that angle. Mm-hmm. If there's scar tissue, peel it open, just kind of get it open and working again. Uh, and oftentimes that that works really well to get the pressure back down and get the drain working. Um, but then, you know, beyond that, you're just you're just using the normal means of treating glaucoma.
2: Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a good explanation. <laughs> <laughs> um, you just mentioned scar tissue. What is that and what can it do to your eye over time?
1: Well, you can, I mean when we talk about scar tissue in the setting of glaucoma or scarring in the setting of glaucoma, it's, it's, we're usually talking about it in terms of what happens after surgery. So when we do, if you, you know, there are a number of ways to treat glaucoma. Typically, we're going to use eye drops and laser treatments to begin with. Those are non-invasive office based things that we can do. Um, But if those don't adequately control the glaucoma or aren't appropriate, then we'll move on and do surgeries and there are a number of type different surgeries we can do but if you're going to do um you know a more uh, traditional full-blown glaucoma surgery there what that means is you're basically trying to make a new drain for the eye all right that means that the patient's drain that they were born with isn't going to work you've you've tried other conservative means to get it to work right that didn't work or wasn't adequate so now you're going to say, all right, forget it. Let's just make a whole new drain. And there are a number of ways to do that. Uh, but it, all of them hinge on making a basically making an opening in the wall of the eye. You can do that by removing a little bit of tissue from the wall of the eye to, to make an opening. Um, you can insert a little device to keep that opening open. Um, or you can put in what's called a tube shunt, which is uh, basically it's like a soft silicone uh, straw, like a small silicone straw that gets inserted through the wall of the eye, but you're creating a channel to, for fluid to leave the eye. So once you've done that, the fluid and pressure that would have built up in the eye can leave the eye. And we try to route it into the space just under the clear skin that covers the white part of the eye. So we try to route it into, into, um, what's called the subconjunctival space. That skin is called the conjunctiva but you want that fluid to to leave the eye and somehow form uh, a bleb or a blister around the eye. And then basically just, you're routing it back into the bloodstream. So once that fluid leaves the inside of the eye and is routed to the space under that thin, clear skin, then eventually it'll get picked up uh, by lymphatic vessels and routed back into the bloodstream. So that's what you're trying to do. But the problem is, You know, in every other type of surgery, typically you want the patient to heal. When you make an incision, you want it to heal. You want it to close up. And our bodies are really good at doing that. Um, And, you know, usually that's a good thing. We want incisions to heal. Glaucoma is one area where we really don't want things to heal. Uh, We want to make an opening that's not supposed to be there. And then we want it to stay open. So we're kind of fighting the body's natural tendency to scar and heal. So we rely on a couple of things to help that, to, to interrupt that process. The, the biggest thing that we'll frequently use is uh, what's called an anti-metabolite medication. Uh, this is a, basically a chemotherapy agent. Uh, usually we'll use something called metamycin C. But it's a medication that interrupts cell replication. So scarring is uh, initiated by little cells called fibroblasts. They, uh, they they divide rapidly and they create scar tissue and close off openings like that that aren't supposed to be there. So if we can stop those cells from replicating with this medication, then you get a lot less scarring and it increases the likelihood the surgery is going to work long term. So we'll usually use that uh, around the surgery. We'll inject it around the surgery while we're working. Um, and then also, if we can establish good flow of fluid from the eye, then it's like, you know, if you have a, a hole in a dam and you got water actively flowing through a dam, it's a lot harder to patch that hole. So if we can get the surgery working and get fluid actively leaving the eye, it's a little bit the same process where your body's going to have a harder time sealing up that hole. It's going to probably establish good long-term flow of fluid. So we kind of rely on mechanical factors and medications to keep the surgery open, but, um, but, if there is scar tissue that forms around the surgery, it's going to limit that. It's going to limit the ability that it's the likelihood that that surgery is going to work long term.
2: Interesting. Okay. I know lots of people have problems with. Injury. It's not covering like eye and dental and stuff. But
1: yeah.
2: how often should someone see the eye doctor? regardless.
1: Yeah. If you're, if you're, you know, the, the Academy of ophthalmology recommends if you're over the age of 50, an eye exam once a year. All right. And that's to be, it's mainly because things like glaucoma, macular degeneration, um, diabetes, a lot of times we'll diagnose diabetes, uh, in patients, those things get more common the older you get. Uh, but you also do want a good eye exam when you're under five years of age. So a lot of times school screening exams will catch things, you know, kids show up to school, they get their eye exam and one eye has subnormal vision. So it, you know, cues the, uh, cues the parents to take the kid to an eye doctor and get a more thorough examination. Uh, but it's good just to get a check when someone's young, make sure. Okay. Yep. Everything looks great. Everything's fine. Uh, and then once again, even if kids are seeing well and doing well, uh, they're going to get a driving test when they turn 16, they're going to get their vision checked then. Um, but a couple of exams when you're in your teens and twenties are a good idea. Um, and then, you know, maybe once every five years, but once you hit 50 and older every one year or, or at the most two years is probably a good idea to get your eyes checked out.
2: All right. Good, good advice. And then my last question is, and then after that, either of you can add anything you'd like, but what's your favorite part of your job?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, You know, that's a tough question. I'd, uh, I'm really lucky. I've been practicing ophthalmology since 2005. So it's about 18 years now and still like it. I still like showing up to work every day. Um, you know, I, I got into this because I do like surgery. I like working with my hands and, um, I like doing things <laughs> and mm-hmm. accomplishing tasks. Um, so I, I do enjoy a good day of surgery for sure. But I think what I like most about my job is that, um, you know, and like I said, glaucoma is a lifelong disease. Patients, uh, are treating it long-term. So, there is a little bit of an aspect of primary care to what I do. So like a primary care doctor, they're going to get to know their their patients long-term and get to know them over the course of years or decades. And um, I, I'm fortunate to get that same experience. So you really get to know people, you get to, you get to kind of know their families and their history. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. I think it's really rewarding.
2: i was thinking that would be your answer i had a feeling um since you see patients regularly and such
1: Yep. that's awesome yeah there's there's not uh, there isn't a lot you know you read a lot about physician burnout um mm-hmm. but there isn't a lot of that in ophthalmology um it, it's it's just a it's a it's a surgical subspecialty that's usually very rewarding. So, if you're going to be a surgeon and you're going to do things that are good for patients, that's great um, and that's rewarding, and you can definitely help people and cure some major problems. But, <laughs> but the patient sometimes doesn't feel good right away. You know, so if you take some of the gallbladder out or their appendix out or you know remove a tumor, yeah, you've definitely helped them. They feel like garbage for a while. So, it's, in in my line of work, that's that's not usually the case. So, if I'm taking out a cataract or addressing someone's glaucoma, they usually feel fine right away, and uh, you know they get kind of that instant gratification. So, I get to be the good guy every day, which is a lot of fun.
2: That's awesome. I like that answer. Mm-hmm. So, do either of you want to add anything else?
0: I don't have any questions to add or anything and like nothing that comes to mind.
2: Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think we established everything that we want.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think all I would say is it's glaucoma's. is, uh, I've, I've been kind of blown away by the field a little bit. Um, when I was training, oops, cat is on the computer now. Sorry. When I was training, um, when I graduated from my fellowship, we had, you know, I was trained in basically two surgeries. <laughs> we had, we had two main surgeries we can do is like chocolate or vanilla. And, um, it, it's, uh, it, things have evolved dramatically where we have now have a, a number of surgeries to choose from. There's really been a, a major, uh, kind of explosion of the, the number of surgical options for glaucoma patients, some of them great, some of them not so great. Um, but we're going to continue to see treatment options develop, uh, I think at a pretty rapid pace. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's never a great time to have glaucoma, but there are a lot of treatment options. It'll be very exciting to see what happens over the next 10 years or so.
2: That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Science. Is improving, and very, very happy that yeah. it is improving, and hoping it it is is improving in all aspects, not yeah. just I, but everything else.
1: It's it's pretty amazing, and I I have uh, you know my, the conversations that I have now with patients who have lost vision um, or are in a really bad spot uh, are different than the conversations I used to have, where it was when I started out, things like self-driving cars, there was zero notion that that would ever come to pass, you know? So uh, I think that very quickly for patients who are visually compromised, um, just, and, and you guys touch on this quite a bit, but just the lifestyle options from a technology standpoint that already exist or are going to be coming into being are, are wonderful.
0: Yeah. And I think an important yeah. thing to, 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 to really... Um, touch on is obviously when somebody goes from being fully sighted to, you know, Mm -hmm. losing their vision, um, it's adjustment is going to be hard. There's going to be that adjustment period, but, um, your life isn't over. And there's still so much more that you can do. I mean, we have like assistive technology and like there are training centers that you can learn how to do things and learn the skills that you need. Um, so, I mean, life's not over and Absolutely. you can still live yeah. a very productive life.
1: Yeah. yeah, so. And it's interesting because that's it's kind of the one thing that we're not trained in. you know we're we're trained everything when you're in your in your training program everything is about saving vision
0: yep yeah
1: really all hands on deck everything is geared towards how do you save vision how do you treat disease but you don't get a lot about (laughs) what do you do when you can't uh, or when the vision's already gone how do you help those patients so uh, that's been a that's been a kind of a, a learning process
0: no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, exactly. And I think the more, the more, um, ophthalmologists get educated on, um, on that, you know, I feel like it would help them be able to like bring their patients, like, you know, some positivity, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. Hey, I know there's nothing that I could do or that can be done, but your life's not over. Like mm-hmm. there's, you know, I, you know, I can, let's say, for example, I, I I can pass along info for like a, um, a um, training center or mm-hmm. an organization or something, you know what I mean? Like, I think that yeah. would be great.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and it's, we do our best to stay on top of it, but I'm all, I'm constantly learning, usually from my patients about resources that are available that I wasn't aware of. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's there's definitely a, a lot to be learned and gained from that.
0: No, oh, absolutely. All right, well, thank you so much, Doctor Suiso, um, for coming on with us, and um, no problem. it was wonderful having you.
2: Your first episode was the most listened to episode of yes. our podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. You're very popular. And I do want to mention, if I can jump in, if anyone's listening to these episodes for the first time, go back and check out the rest of our our episodes and check out any information we give, the 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 topics we touch on is not just for blind
1: yeah.
2: listeners but for society
1: too.
2: Definitely. Absolutely. Well keep up the
1: good work you too. Thank All you right. so
2: much, Dr. Shuizo.
1: you. Not a problem.
0: Good work too. Alright
1: yep. I'll do my best. Have a great day, okay. Yep. You, you too. too. Bye.
0: Bye-bye. All right folks, well that was Dr. Schweizo with part two of the episode all about glaucoma we hope that you learned a lot today feel free to listen to more of our episodes if you haven't already and share this episode share all the other episodes because they're all packed with great information and uh tune in next time bye everyone. bye oh and make sure to rate and subscribe us um check out the patreon Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, you know where to find us. We'll see you soon.